Matthew, chapter 16, verses 1 through 20. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites! Ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the persons demanding our Savior a sign, the Pharisees and Sadducees, persons of contrary opinions and interests, yet both agree in tempting and opposing Christ. Learn, thence, that wicked men, how opposite soever they are to one another, can yet agree together in opposing Christ and undermining his truth. Observe, too, the sign demanded. Show us a sign from heaven, as if they had said, Put us not off with such earthly signs as we have seen in multiplying loaves, but let us see a miracle from heaven, such as Moses and Elias wrought. This they desired not so much for their satisfaction as out of curiosity, nay, wicked treachery. Learn, thence, that to demand a sign, not to confirm our faith, but to harden ourselves in our unbelief, is a dangerous tempting of Christ. Observe 3. Our Savior's rejection of this demand of the Pharisees to give them a sign. O ye hypocrites, says he, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. As if Christ had said, Did not malice and obstinacy blind your eyes, you might as easily see and discern that these are the times of the Messiah, and that I am he, by the miracles wrought by me, as you can make judgment of the weather by looking upon the sky. Learn that to pretend more ignorance and uncertainty in discerning the signs of the gospel times than the signs of the weather is great hypocrisy. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the sign of the times. Observe lastly, that our Savior doth not condemn the study of nature, or making observations of the state of the weather from the face of the sky. All that our Savior blamed was that they were better skilled in the signs of the weather than in the signs of the times. As God, by natural signs, gives us warning of a change in natural things, so by his providential dispensation, he gives us warning of a change in civil things. He that is wise will observe these things, and by his observations will come to understand the pleasure of the Lord. Verses 5 through 11. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we've taken no bread, which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Did ye not understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, or how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning the bread? that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood they how we bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Burkett notes. Observe here, one, 
how dull the disciples of Christ were under Christ's own teaching, how apt to put a carnal sense upon his words. They apprehended he had spoken to them of the leavened bread, which he intended of the leaven of the Pharisees' doctrine. Observe, too, the smart and sharp reproof which Christ gave his disciples for not understanding the sense and signification of what he spake. The Lord Jesus Christ is much displeased with his own people when he discerns blindness and ignorance in them, after more than ordinary means of knowledge enjoyed by them. How is it that ye do not yet understand? Observe 3. The metaphor which Christ sets forth the corrupt doctrine of the Pharisees by. He compares it to leaven partly for its sourness and partly for its diffusiveness. Leaven is a piece of sourdough that diffuses itself into the whole mass or lump of bread with which it's mixed. From whence our Savior intimates that the Pharisees were a sour and proud sort of people, and their doctrines, like themselves, poisonous and pernicious in their consequences, the contagion of which our Lord warns his disciples to avoid and shun. Whence learn that error is as damnable as vice. Persons erroneous in their judgments are to be avoided, as well as those that are lewd and wicked in their conversations. He that has a due care of his soul's salvation must as well beware of erroneous principles as of debauched practices. Observe 4. Our Savior does not command his disciples to separate from communion with the Pharisees and oblige them not to hear their doctrine, but only to be aware of the errors that are mixed in with their doctrine. We may and ought to hold communion with a church, though erroneous in doctrine, if not fundamentally erroneous. Separation from a church is not justifiable upon any other grounds than that which makes a separation between God and that church, which is either the apostasy of that church into gross idolatry, or in point of doctrine into damnable heresy, or imposing sinful terms of communion. Verses 13 through 17. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjoran, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Burkett Notes Observe here, one, our Savior's question and the disciples' answer. Our Savior's question is twofold. One, whom do men say that I am? Not that the Son of God was ignorant of what men said of him, but he had the intention of more firmly to settle and establish his his disciples in the belief of his being the promised Messiah. And therefore, two, he puts the question to them, whom do you, my disciples, say that I am? You that have heard the holiness of my doctrine, and seen the divinity of my miracles, what say you to me, and what confession do you make of me? Christ expects greater measures of grace and knowledge, and higher degrees of defiance and faith, from those that have enjoyed the greatest means of grace and knowledge. The disciples were eye and ear witnesses of his doctrine and miracles, and accordingly he expects from them a full confession of his divinity. Observe, too, the answer returned. 1. By the apostles in general. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Eliah, and some Jeremiah. It is no new thing, it seems, to find diversity of judgments and opinions concerning Christ and the affairs of his kingdom. We find that when our Savior was among men, 
who daily both saw and heard him, yet there was a diversity of opinions concerning him. 2. Peter, in the name of the rest, and as the mouth of all the apostles, makes a full and open confession of his being the Son of God. Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Whence note that the veil of Christ's human nature did not keep the eye of his disciples' faith from seeing him to be the Son of God as well as the Son of Man. Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Observe 3. How highly pleased our Savior was with this confession. He pronounces Peter, and the rest in him, blessed, who had by him made this Christian confession. Blessed art thou, Simon, and tells him, one, what did not enable him to make that confession, not flesh and blood, that is, not man, nor the wisdom and reason of man, two, but positively, God the Father, by the operation of his Spirit and the dispensation of the gospel, has wrought this divine faith in you, and drawn forth this glorious confession from you, that I am indeed the Son of God. Thence learn that no man can savingly believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God and the Savior of the world, but he in whom God himself, by his Holy Spirit, has wrought such a persuasion by the ministry of the gospel. Verse 18, And I shall say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, as Peter confessed Christ, so Christ confesses him. Peter said, Thou art Christ. Christ says, Thou art Peter, alluding to his name, which signifies a rock. He, having made good that title by the strength, stability, and firmness of his faith. Observe, too, a double promise made by Christ to Peter. One, for the building. Two, for the upholding of his church. For the building of his church, one, upon this rock I will build my church. Upon what rock? Upon Peter, the rock confessing, says the papist. But if so, no more said of Peter here than of all the other apostles elsewhere. Galatians 2.9. James and John are called pillars as well as Peter, so that Peter's superiority over the rest of the apostles can with no show of reason be from hence inferred. Upon Christ the rock confessed, says the Protestants, for Christ is the foundation stone upon which his church is built. Ephesians 2.20. Ye are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So then not upon Peter the rock confessing, but upon Christ the rock confessed, and upon the rock of Peter's confession, that fundamental truth, that Christ is the Son of the living God, is the church built. Upon this rock will I build my church. Yet Christ may here be said to build his church upon Peter, because he used St. Peter's ministry in laying the foundation of a Christian church among the Jews and Gentiles, he being the first preacher of that faith which he here confessed, first to the Jews, Acts 2, and then to the Gentiles, Acts 10. And accordingly, St. Peter's conversion of 3,000 souls by his ministry, Acts 2.41, is looked upon by some as a punctal fulfilling of this promise here made unto him. He was styled the rock, because he laid the foundations of faith among the nations, that is, the first foundations of a Christian church in the world. Whence it appears that in this matter, St. Peter neither had nor can have a successor. But if the Pope will pretend to be a successor in this affair, he must not sit at Rome, lording it over God's heritage, 
but must go in person to the unbelieving Jews and unconverted heathens, as Peter did, and labor by his preaching to bring over the Turk, the Jew, and the infidel to Christianity. Observe next our Savior's promise for upholding as well as building of his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is, all the policy and power of the devil and his instruments shall neither destroy my church nor extinguish the light of this divine truth, which thou hast now made confession of, namely, that I am the true Messiah, the Son of the living God. Note 1. That Jesus Christ is the builder and will be the upholder of his church. 2. That the church upheld by Christ's power and promise shall never be vanquished by the devil's policy or strength. Upon this rock, etc., and the gates, etc. By the gates of hell understand, 1. The wisdom of hell, gates being the seat of counsel. 2. The censures and sentence of hell, gates being the place of judiciature. 3. By the gates of hell, understand the arms and power of hell, gates being a place of strength and guards. So that when Christ secures against hell, he secures against all that receive their commission from hell. Neither hell nor any envenomed by hell shall prevail against my church. Verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Burkett notes. Observe here, one, the person to whom this promise is made, namely to Peter, with the rest of the apostles, the confession being made by him in the name of the rest. Elsewhere we find the same authority and power given to them all, which is here committed unto Peter. John 20, 23. Whose sins soever ye remit, they are remitted. Although there might be a priority of order amongst the apostles, yet no superiority of power was founded in any one of them over and above the rest. Observe, too, the power promised. I will give thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That is, the key of doctrine and the key of discipline, or full power and authority to preach the gospel, to administer the sacraments, and to execute church censures. The speech is metaphorical and alludes to stewards and officers in great houses to whose trust the keys of the household are committed. Christ's ministers are the stewards of his house into whose hands the keys of his church are committed by Christ. The Pope would snatch them out of all hands and keep them in his own. He snatches at Peter's keys but makes shipwreck of Peter's faith, arrogating Peter's power but abrogating his holy profession. Learn, one, that the authority and power which the ministers of the gospel do exercise and execute is from Christ, and I will give thee the keys of the kingdom. Two, that this power of the keys Christ dispensed promiscuously to all his apostles and never designed it as particularly for St. Peter. As they all made the same profession of faith by Peter, so they all received the same authority and power with Peter. And accordingly, the apostles exercised their office independently of Peter in converting those of the circumcision as well as he. And St. Paul, who was the apostle of the Gentiles, opened the kingdom of heaven to far more Gentiles than ever Peter did, and therefore had this key of the kingdom of heaven given to him as much as to St. Peter. Verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Burkett notes, that is, till after his resurrection. It may seem strange that our Savior should charge his disciples to tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ, 
seeing the knowledge of it was so necessary. The reason is conceived to be, one, because the glory of his Godhead was not to be fully manifested till after his resurrection, and then to be published by himself and confirmed by his own miracles. Two, lest the knowledge of it should hinder his death. For, had the rulers known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Learn that Christ has his own fit times and proper seasons in which he reveals his own mysteries to the world. Three, that Christ was so intent upon laying down his life for sinners that he would not have his death hindered by an untimely declaration of his being truly and really God. After his death was it that he declared himself to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead.